Hi folks, this is Mary Claire Erdenast. Welcome to Play for Keeps podcast. We are recording new plays as podcasts in Ashland, Oregon, as a part of the Ashland New Plays Festival. Today we are listening to a conversation between Blake Hackler and Holly L. Durr. Blake Hackler is an actor, teacher, director, and playwright. He currently holds faculty positions at Yale University and Southern Methodist University. His plays and musicals have been produced in Dallas, Chicago, and New York. Holly Elder is a writer, director, and professor of theater. She directs new plays and gender-flipped classics. She is the head of graduate directing at the University of Memphis, as well as feminist media critic who writes about theater, film, television, video games, and comics. Ashland New Plays Festival 2017 winning play, What We Were, by Blake Hackler, was directed by Holly Elder at the Ashland New Plays Festival. What We Were is making its world premiere in a co-production between Second Thought Theater in Dallas, Texas and Circle Theater in Fort Worth, Texas. Opening night of What We Were at Second Thought Theater is Friday, August 30th. We'll have links to the shows and their run dates on the episode description. If you haven't yet heard our premium play podcast recording of What We Were, make sure to check it out at playforkeeps.org. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone to join us in Ashland, Oregon, October 16th through the 20th for readings of Starter Pistol by Michael Gotch, Pelicans by David Johnston, The Night Climber by Joshua Rubel, and an honorable mention of the 2019 Kilroy's List, The Way North by Tira Palmquist. As a reminder to all playwrights, Ashland New Plays Festival is now accepting play submissions for the 2020 Fall Festival. Go to ashlandnewplays.org to find out more. Please enjoy listening to Blake Hackler and Holly Elder. Holly, have you had as much anxiety about doing this as, as I've had? I've had huge <laughs> amounts of anxiety about doing this. Um. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm a talker, so um, I never have to worry about whether I'm going to come up with something to say because I always have something to say. <laughs> good, good. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you. I can't, you know, it's been about uh, it's been about a year and a half or I guess close to two, two years since we saw each other and we got to work on uh, what we were at Ashland New Play Festival. But you've had like lots of exciting things have been happening for you, right? <laughs> Yes, my life has changed quite a bit since then. I believe that at that point, I still lived in Saratoga Springs, New York. Um, yes. And I now live in Memphis, Tennessee, so I have come back to the South. Uh, mm-hmm. And I am the head of the graduate directing program at the University of Memphis. So is this the end of your first year or the end of your second year there? The end of my first year. Okay, how is it? Um, I am having a really fantastic time. Memphis mm-hmm. is kind of great for me. It's Uh perfect. It's exactly the right size. Um, You know, I've lived in small towns and big cities and in the middle of nowhere. Um, And this has kind of the right combination of all of those things. Uh, And it's really exciting um, at the university, my job, because I'm really being given a lot of freedom to kind of redesign the curriculum and redirect the program. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's just a thrilling opportunity. Sure, sure. So what kinds of... um what kinds of changes have you been making in the program? Well, I think the the thing that I've been most embraced in doing is um, really uh, encouraging more conversation around diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and proposing some really concrete ways to uh, create more diversity, particularly on stage. Um, as with mm-hmm. I think every you know theater in the world at this point, that's an that's an ongoing issue at the University of Memphis. Um, we want to tell diverse stories, and we want to serve um, the diversity in our in our student body. Um, sure. And so uh, I'm I'm starting next year. I'm also going to be the artistic director of the theater of the season that we produce. So as part of that, I've changed the way that people that the students um, submit their proposals for directing, so that they oh, have okay. to talk and think about issues of race and gender and representation um, even before they've started to cast the play. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. That, that's so great. Yeah, you know, I um. I teach at university too, and that's certainly a conversation we've been having. Um, I think we, we, we brought in um, a group that I know is, did a lot of work at um, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, a group called Arts Equity. Yes. You know, that's a big difference between your school and mine because we wanted to bring them in and then we found out how much they cost. Yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are not cheap. Yes, not they are not cheap. cheap. Um, but we had, you know, we, we had been... Um, you know, there has there's been a I I teach at um at SMU in Dallas, uh, right? Texas. I remember, yeah. And it's a you know I it's it's a great school. I love it so much. And uh and the theater school is uh we uh, have a, a really diverse and exciting student body. And right. but one of the challenges for us is that SMU is a traditionally sort of white rich. Upper, upper middle class school, you know, yeah. and so when we're bringing in these diverse student bodies, they're being brought into a sea of whiteness. Yes, and, and you know, and uh, and into a faculty that is majority white as well. And so, you know, we really needed to start proactively dealing with this. And so, we brought in Arts Equity to do a faculty workshop. And um, next year, they're going to come back and do a workshop with our students, uh, a four-day workshop with our students. And, oh, uh, great. I'm so jealous. And, and that was, it was really exciting, really uh, bracing. Uh, really, they were incredible in terms of their straight talk. You know, they, we just sort of went right for it and right into it. Yeah. And so I hope a lot of really exciting things and you know a lot of really difficult things are going to come from it it's 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 not comfortable to sort of uh institute that kind of change but it's absolutely um absolutely necessary and yeah one of the things that carmen morgan said to us right as she started and uh sort of set the tone for the day but i appreciated it so much is she said you know uh these kinds of changes that are coming and these kinds of talks that you are going to have and and that you have to have, you either have them now or you won't exist in 20 years. And, and and I thought that was so great. I I think that's exactly right. I think either we have to make it happen now or we will cease to exist at least in terms of relevance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And And I really, really appreciate you bringing in experts on that. I think it's so important, even though it does cost money, because mm-hmm. to have that conversation amongst your own community without kind of an expert coming in and giving oh, sure. language and giving you ways to have the conversation, you know, we just kind of wander around in the dark sometimes, I think. Yes. Yes. You know, because despite our best intentions and despite our willingness 
to sort of institute this kind of change. Yes, we don't have the tools. And I think for, um, for a room full of theater makers slash academics, that can be hard to admit, but it's, it's important to admit, oh yes, we, we want to make this happen and we do not have the tools by ourselves to make this happen. We need right. some guidance, you know? Yeah. 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 So, um, so you just, so you admitted your first class. Uh, what was that like, uh, recruiting uh I, it was actually totally surreal i i mm-hmm. kept trying to remember things about when i went to grad school which has now been so many years ago that i don't quite remember you know uh the details of it um and so it was kind of amazing to be the person actually reading the applications and like a couple of students did their research and mentioned me as mm-hmm. the person they wanted to study with and it was a really profound like oh my god i have so much responsibility for these people and for their careers. Um, and, and I really had to challenge myself to not just look for directors who looked exactly like me, you know, I really, I really became aware of how easy that would be to do, how easy it would be to evaluate them based on, does their resume look like minded at that point Mm -hmm. in my life? And yes. I keep having to tell myself, like, there are a lot of other ways that people can can get to this point of going to grad school and a lot of other ways that their qualifications could could be made visible and just, like, keep my eyes open to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I have to be aware of my privilege a lot. I, I was born into an upper middle class family and I went to really mm-hmm. good schools and I just kind of had great uh, opportunities. You know, I've, I've experienced a fair amount of um uh, oppression as a, as a woman, but, um, I, mm-hmm. otherwise I've had really significant opportunities. Uh, and so i I'm trying to learn how to sort of look behind uh, that for other signs of what might make a person, you know, qualified to be a professional director. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just finished a recruiting, uh, cycle for our next graduate class at SMU and, yeah. uh, and this was the first year that I was solely responsible for it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so it, it, I, I agree with you and I hear you. It is a huge amount of like, oh, my gosh, I've got this, you know, this responsibility. And also, you know, uh, I found myself, you know, over and over again sort of instructing myself when I was talking with students, you know, be sure that you're telling the absolute truth as you know it, you mm. know, so that students would, you know, uh, sometimes perspectives would ask me very specific questions about our relationship to the, the you know, the market or can you get us jobs or are you going to provide this or that, you know, and, mm. and I, and I thought, you know, my responsibility at this point is to be absolutely as honest as I know about this and say, you know, what I know about our school is we can do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. If you're looking for X, we're probably not as strong as that as, as this school. Yes. But if you're oh. looking for Y, then we can give you that, you know, right. and um, and then, you know, the, having been on the audition tour by myself and, uh, you know, meeting with all of these students, we through through the uh, we audition students, we do some auditions here in Texas. And then we do most of them through the uh, the the URTA, uh OK, right system so in the span of i mean you know it's 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 incredibly hard on the students it's hard on us in the span of about two and a half weeks we see about 900 to a thousand students wow um, 
Yes, yes. So oh it is. Oh my a, gosh. It, it is brutal on both sides. It's, it's, you know, I always say to the students, you know, the fact that you could even do, you know, a, a glimmer of good work is amazing given the circumstances of it. Um, but it is also kind of the only way that students can have access to that many schools at, at, at that, you know, uh, at that short of a time span and, and, kind of optimize their spending for auditioning for these schools. But it, it was a really interesting thing to sort of look at, okay, you know, we, we don't charge anything for grad school. We give a stipend. And yet, you know, I still feel like, is this enough? Is this yeah. as much as we could be doing in preparing someone for a lifetime in the arts and a career in the arts? You know, yeah, it's incumbent upon us to not impose any kind of debt on them. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, because I I went to the Yale School of Drama. It was amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I think the year after I left, two years after I left, they made the school tuition free. Wow. So you know, I'm dealing with loans that I'll be paying back for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. And and I've been incredibly lucky. You know, like you, I've enjoyed a lot of privilege in my life, which has allowed me to get an incredible job that, you know, pays for my bills, that pays for medical care and all of that. And yet I will still have to pay off my you know, loans for the rest of my life. So right. in recruit, so in recruiting students, you know, I want to make sure that we're, that we're giving them the absolute most support that is possible for our school. Absolutely. Um, I, I find that the, the hardest thing about recruiting um, is whether or not your stipend is competitive with other schools. Yes. You know, yes. I mean, we, we just to get better students, we need to be able to offer them a little bit more money. Yes. Yeah. And it is, uh, you know, and it is a constant, uh, constant negotiation because, mm. uh, you know, some schools have an incredible amount of resources, you know, um, right. I, I, I spent some time on the tour talking to um, Anna, Anna, Sh Piro, who you know oh, is yeah. the artistic director of Steppenwolf, and has created um, this really unbelievable new program, an, an MFA in acting at Northwestern. Oh, uh huh. And and, um, and she negotiated with the school. I think their stipend is something like twenty three thousand dollars a year, which is amazing. But wow, you know, the only way that she could get that though was by creating a program that was too continuous years long instead of three years. I um, get it. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but, uh, but just talking with her and about her, you know, the kinds of things that she's asked for and the kinds of things that, you know, she wanted if they were going to have a program was really inspiring. Uh, mm -hmm. so, and, you know, kind of made me come back and think about some things that are happening with our program as well. Yeah. So. Cool. Cool. Well, so what have you been doing for the last year and a half? Catch yeah, um, yeah, you know, I've been uh, doing all the things. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think that we, that we talked about how we both kind of do multiple things. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, my uh, position in Dallas sort of gives me the flexibility to wear a lot of hats. So, you know, I am able to write. I teach. I've been... Uh, Directing, I've been acting, 
Um, so since Ashland, let's see, what have I been doing? I, I was in um, a couple of productions at the Dallas Theater Center. Um, oh my gosh, you were? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did Frankenstein there, that uh, that new adaptation by Nick Deere, which was, was really fun. That's that's uh, it's quite an interesting play. It's a uh, it's like forty scenes. Um, wow. So it's yeah. Um, well, um, I, my my parents actually must have seen you on stage because oh wow okay. about Frankenstein. It was one of the ones that they really liked. Oh, good. Yeah. So I, I was in that, and then I just most recently uh, this this last spring was in. Uh, Twelfth Night at DTC. Uh, oh, cool! Played, Who did you play in that? I played Sir Andrew Egecheek, nice. uh, which was um, which was a blast. I mean, you know, it's just a silly fun. So I, I was doing those things. I was uh, I directed Twelfth Night as well at uh, there's a there was a Shakespeare festival here that existed for ten years uh, called the Trinity Shakespeare. Festival uh-huh. and they did really beautiful, beautiful work. And um, I had the privilege of working with them for about six seasons, seven seasons. Um, and uh, so the, the, this la- the season last summer was their very last. And so I directed oh, Twelfth Night there. And uh, so yeah, so it's been a year of a lot of Twelfth Night in my life. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, let's see, what else have I been directing or doing? Uh, I know I directed other things. Oh, right now, actually, I'm finishing up a run of two Carol Churchill plays. Ooh, with you. Yeah, uh, with a company that I work with a lot here in Dallas, we're doing Drunk Enough to Say I Love You. Um, And then a play that I think one of her most recent plays, a play called Here We Go. Uh, Two one acts, both about 40 minutes each, really different uh but both you know really challenging um, yeah just such a uh, just such a fascinating and incredible writer it's sort of mind-blowing and Uh, you know her career just has never slowed down and she as a writer has never slowed down she's so prolific she's in her i think she's almost 80 now Uh uh-huh and yeah i mean these and and you know that is a that's actually uh something that we've talked about in talkbacks is that, you know, for the majority of, of writers, whether it be, you know, playwrights or novelists or musical theater, you know, it it does seem like there is sort of a threshold when they get into their sixties or so that, that there isn't much new work after that, or there isn't much new work of consequence. And Mm -hmm. yet she, like you said, has been able to continue to not only write, but write things that are, that are um, challenging, that are innovative, that push the envelope. So yeah, she is a remarkable. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and these plays have been doing, uh, Drunk Enough to Say I Love You has been probably one of the most challenging things I've acted in, in years and years. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really been like, Oh yes, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to do all the work, <laughs> you know? So it I has been all a, of those things that I always tell my students to do. Yes. No, yeah. I mean, it, it, it has kicked my ass, which yeah. has been great. So. That's so fun though. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's really fun to work on something really hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, because it's, uh, it keeps you in shape. Yeah. Um, 
And then in terms of writing, um, let's see, last year after we were in Ashland, October 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so that, so May, June of 2018, I had been commissioned to create my own sort of uh, meditation on Ibsen's Enemy of the People. Oh, really? yeah, yeah. So I I wrote that, and it was produced last year, May and June in Dallas. Oh, Blake, um, you have to send it to me. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely. You know, it, it was really it was interesting because when I was asked if I would do it, you know, my first response. I'm I'm a huge uh, fan of Ibsen. I, Are you? Oh my gosh, we have to talk about Ibsen. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, no, but I love his plays, and. Um, but Enemy of the People is my least favorite play of his. No and way! It's my favorite it's, one. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's you know, the only just, one. It's the only one that I am remotely interested in even doing. Okay. Oh my God! Yeah, we have to have much talk about this. So, uh, so I find that play to be incredibly didactic, to uh-huh. be incredibly black and white. <laughs> yeah. Be, um, that that there, you know. The, the women are basically non-existent in the play and are just props in the play. Absolutely, um, yeah. So different from his other work. Um, but I feel the same way about that that I do about Mamet's writing. Like, I, I, I don't like Ibsen very much, and I actually don't like the way that he writes women, and I know that's kind of heretical to say. Sure, but I yeah. like an enemy of the people because he's not trying to write about women. It's like, I, I think I the best plays are the ones that have no women in them. <laughs> they misunderstand us so badly that they ought to just not touch that yes just don't talk about us yeah exactly (laughs) so so i resisted it at first i was like you know i don't have anything to add to this play i don't like this play and they kept coming back to me and saying no you know what read it again read it again and so i did finally and i was like okay if i'm going to work on this it's got to be completely my own thing and um so I wound up um, transposing it to uh, present day and sort of set it in a uh, in a town sort of like uh, inspired by uh, Marfa, Texas. Okay. Because actually Marfa has hot springs, actually. Ah. And there was this interesting thing in Marfa where, you know, there was the original town, this sort of small town that had struggled for so many years. And then they had this huge influx of like uh, East Coast moneyed um, artists. Yeah. And so it's it's become this sort of very exclusive artists retreat. Um, and there is a tension, you know, in that town between that, which allows them to survive but then the actual residents of that town. And so that was sort of the inspiration of it. Um, I, uh, trans, you know, I, I changed the gender and the race of uh, several characters. Ah, smart. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then I sort of followed the structure of the first two and a half acts and then really just started to, when we got to the town hall, started to sort of break it down. So that by the end of the play, the whole play sort of collapses in on itself. Uh-huh. And, um, and so then the characters are talking about the Ibsen play and they're aware of the Ibsen play. And, they're, and, so, and they sort of talk about how they can restructure the ending so it actually functions. And uh, 
so anyway, it was a really exciting process. Um, I had a yeah. great and and a great director who I who actually I'd gone to school with. Um, so we shared a really common language, and also it was because I couldn't be involved much. Um, I was directing Twelfth Night at the time, so it's it's actually my favorite way to collaborate as a playwright, which is just, you know, I write that thing, they go off and work on it, they tell me what they need, mm -hmm. I try to help with that, you know, I come in every once in a while, but I like to be pretty hands-off as a playwright. Interesting. Yeah. You know, that's interesting yeah. that you that you say that. For, first, let me just mention about Ibsen. The one good thing that I can say for him uh, is <laughs> his plays are eminently adaptable. They're so yeah. adaptable. And I do think that that, that that signifies that there's some universality somewhere in the story because it can be translated so easily to different situations. Now, I, as you discovered, I think usually it has to be translated into a situation where the class issues are the same. Yeah, and in that yeah. sense, it's not universal. Like you can't really make his plays about middle class people be about poor people. No. Um, but uh, but I do love that you can transpose so much of his work. Um, but it, but it's funny that you say that about you as a playwright because I was just remembering in anticipation of this um, conversation our work on what we were, yes. and you did such beautiful fine tuning word by word and even punctuation by punctuation, I felt like you were very involved in that as a writer. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I, I love doing that kind of work, you know, and, um, but I, I, I guess what I mean is that I like to have a very light, light presence in the room, you know, uh -huh. like I feel like once I've written it and if I trust the people who are working on it, uh, and, and, you know, it's, Certainly, the moment that I met you in the cast, I was like, okay, yes, these people know exactly what they're doing on this, you know? Okay. And and I could feel, you know, that you really had a passion for the play. So I really like to sort of be like, great, it's 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 your project now. You know, I'm, I'm here to support and to help in any way and to answer any questions. But, you know, I think... You know, when a play goes into production, uh, and eventually the actors and the director probably know a lot more, or maybe not more, but a lot of different things than I can as the playwright, you mm. know? And so I want to trust that. I want to honor that. I, I am always interested in, you know, of course, writing. I have a vision of how the play should function in my head. Um, but... I'm always excited to see that vision versus what's actually happening on stage. Sure. And, and if, and if it's not going, you know, like how I intended it to, is that okay? And if it's not okay, then that's my failing for not structuring it in such a way on the page mm. that that's clear to the, the people who, are working on it. Yeah. I think also that I, I you know, that I want to leave, you know, because I'm an actor uh, and because I have such a deep love for actors, I want to leave a lot of space in my scripts for actors to create their own relationship and their own moments, you know, and sort of to, uh -huh. 
to author their own experience in the play. That is very wise and very humble. <laughs> I love it. Well, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that we're talking about Ibsen because when I teach acting, um, you know, I, when we explore in the graduate program Ibsen and Chekhov, you know, I, I use those two playwrights in specific ways because in Ibsen, there is not much space for an actor mm. to actually, you know, it is, it is a very tight structure. Yeah. And so it's event, 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 event. And so an actor has to learn how to negotiate that. But mm-hmm. then when we work on Chekhov, there's an incredible amount of space. And I'm mm. in no way comparing myself to Chekhov. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's that there's an incredible amount of space for the actor to engage yes. and to create a kind of life in that. And yes. it's a different kind of challenge. And so in my, you know, in my, my aspiration is to create plays that, that, that are spaces like that. Sure. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm not afraid to compare you to Chekhov. Um, <laughs> I, can, I definitely can, can see a similarity there. Um, you know, there, there is a, there was an incredible specificity to Chekhov, but in the specificity, it opens up so many possibilities, you know, mm-hmm. that, that it, there is just openness in that text for interpretation and, and to sort of um, bring yourself to it. And, and, and things like Ibsen, like you were saying, I mean, it comes down to even Ibsen even writes the dialogue in like these well-structured, complete sentences. Yes. <laughs> no gray. You know, there is no gray area. I could diagram no. it. Sentences perfectly. Yeah, yeah, but I but I do think that um, you do a wonderful thing where you you create space, and in your writing, uh, you do something that I love, which is you make that literal in the way that you lay it out on the page. You know, Mm -hmm. when I look at your text on the page, I'm like, oh, there's so much white space here. There's room for me. Yeah, great, good. No, you know, because that's that's really um, when I start to write, that is part of my process kind of at the beginning, figuring out what it's going to look like on the page. And mm. it sounds so crazy, but it's, yeah, like it's, okay, will I have, you know, will things be right, justified or left? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and so in that way, you know, like I don't sort of, you know, when you uh, submit plays to places, they ask for like, you know, standard format. It's got to be like this. It's got to be like that. And, mm. and I, always kind of like, well, okay. I mean, kind of. And if you're going to be, you know, if these places are going to be obsessed with it, then I just won't submit my play there, you know? Right. Then maybe, yeah. Then maybe that's actually not the right partnership. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it it is because I, I think that that is the physical object of that play and how it appears on the page is one of the first things that someone else is going to respond to. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially for a play like what we were, I want the first response to be, yes, that it, that there is a lot of breath in that play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so how can I mimic that on the page? Yeah. By the way, it's been um, fascinating moving back to the South and hearing cicadas again. Oh, yeah. Right. Having that be a regular sound in my life. I mean, I, I what we were, I feel like, all that, all that space that's in the play is all that space that's in Texas. Yes. You know, yeah. and that the breath is the, is the wind. And that is, you know, it's funny because I never, you know, I moved back to Texas eight years ago now, a little mm. more than eight 
years ago. And, you know, I never thought that I would uh, wind up back in Texas. Uh, and I never thought that I would write about Texas. Yeah. And yet most of my plays seem to be set here. And again, yeah, are deeply influenced by the landscape here. I just, yeah. uh, and yeah, that sound of, the, um, of cicadas is like, you know, one of the <laughs> soundtracks of my life. It's right. Just, you know, yeah. 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 It's a sense memory for me that evokes a whole lot of other things. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Growing up and dreams and high school and, you know, mm -hmm. a thousand things, you know? So, yeah. So yeah. welcome back to the cicada sound. <laughs> well, so, I, you know, I couldn't wait to get away from Texas. I, I always tell people that when my, um, when my parents asked me where I wanted to go to college, I said, not in Texas and not in any state that borders Texas. <laughs> <laughs> you were very clear. Um, I, I knew, I knew that I needed to go somewhere else. Um, and I went to North Carolina, which uh, I naively thought it felt very far North at that point in my life. <laughs> and then I got there, I got there and I was like, Oh damn it. I'm still in the South. It's, Crap. Yeah. It's, it's, um, but yeah. you know, when the opportunity came up to, to live in Memphis, I I'm at the age where I thought to myself, I'm going to be closer to my family. And that means yes. something. Um, exactly. you know, and I, I, my Southern heritage has, has always been a part of me. Um, you know, my, my mom always talked about being Southern growing up. And so I was always thinking about being Southern. And so I still think about that, you know, um, yes. when I think about my identity, I think about that, that part of it in relation to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been, it, it, it's been impactful. Yes. No, I, you know, I, I agree with so much of that, you know, I too wanted to to get out of Texas when I was 18 as soon as possible. And so then I spent the next, you know, uh, 20 years in Chicago and in New York. And um, when the job opportunity came up at SMU, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know. I don't. But it was a time in my life where a lot of things were shifting and changing. And when I came to look at the school and uh you know, apply uh, to interview for the job. I really liked it. And I have to say that moving back here has been the best choice I've ever made in my life. Wow. It, um, it has allowed me to function as an artist in a way that uh, I think is pretty impossible when you live in New York and that kind of market, you know, yes. um, you know, and I'm, lucky enough that a couple of my classmates from Yale also live here. So I have some really close collaborators here, but, um, but you know, it, it, it gives one the opportunity to, I can, I can afford to live here and yeah. live, you know, I mean, I, um, yeah, it makes such a difference to you as just a human being, as an art and an artist to not have to be as worried all the time about money. It's uh, just, it's a yes. huge difference. And also that feeling of like, you know, in New York after a while, I was like, okay, so every job that I would get, everyone in the cast was only thinking about, of course, how to get the next job, you know? Yeah. And so, and so there was rarely a sense of here we are in this space only thinking about this thing, 
You know, mm -hmm. it was like, yes, I'm here, but also I'm auditioning for 20 other things because I've got to make a living. I've got to, mm -hmm. you know, and, and here in Dallas, you know, oftentimes I'm booked out a year and a half in advance, you know, so, yeah. so I know what's coming next and, or if nothing is coming next, that's still okay. Right. You know? And, um, and, you know, I've met such incredibly generous, creative, exciting artists here. And, um, and there's a hunger for good theater here and there's a hunger for good plays. And the community is really making an effort to support new playwrights, mm. to hear new work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just feel so lucky. To, <laughs> That's great. Uh, to be here. Yeah. Yeah. My and, parents uh, are always telling me that it's a completely different city. You know, I left, gosh, how old was I? That one, I mean, what year was it when I was 18? Um, I left in 91, I guess. Huh? That's a okay. long time ago at this point. So uh, they're yeah. always telling me that the art scene is, is completely different and, and just kind of the, the sense of culture is really. Mm -hmm. different. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there is a bit, you know, there of course are, our issues and there's a ton of work to do, mm -hmm. you know, but I think it's that way everywhere. It just, you know, it, it, it looks different in different places, right. um, you know, and politically it's a whole other story. Um, you know, Texas is a challenging place, especially as a queer artist, it's a challenging mm -hmm. place to live. Um, but, you know, I'm a little insulated in Dallas because Dallas is a blue city. Yeah. But, yeah. So that's a whole other story. But Yeah. Well, I've gotten to um, a couple a couple times in the last years direct new plays in Cincinnati. And mm -hmm. I continue to like that theater community. Um, really? For being fairly affordable uh, mm -hmm. and, and diverse. Um, and yeah. every town is affordable, I mean. Um, so, but it's a really interesting experience. I go and direct at the No Theater and they do a full season of new plays. They're, they're all new plays, but, um, the playwright, they're not, not, they don't have quite enough money for the playwright to actually be there for the rehearsal process. So it's an, it's a very interesting, um, you know, email relationship to have director to playwright and for them to not be able to come in once a week and hear the words in the room. Sure. Um, it is really interesting. Um, but I love working at that, at that theater, uh, and in that community. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah I, 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 did, uh, I don't know if you know either of the playwrights. I did something called super true by Karen Hartman. Oh yeah. She's a, she's a fabulous playwright. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did red bike by Caridad Svitch. Oh, okay. Yes. I know both of those. Uh, I know both of them. And actually I've, I've, um, studied with, uh, Karadad. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. I, she, I have, um, I studied with her, uh, online for a couple of years and I, you know, I, I, I learned so much from her. Oh, interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of prolific. Oh she, my God. She I mean, writes nonstop and it's, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. And, and I, I really appreciate about her too, is that she's also always exploring, you know, what are the other possibilities of form? What, what else can a play look like? Yes. Um, you know, she's, she's very restless in that way in the best possible sense. Absolutely. And, um, 
And writing plays, it seems like more and more what I find interesting about her plays, she's writing plays that are sort of open fields, which yes. they are, they are um, in terms of how they can be cast, right. in terms of gender makeup, in terms of, uh, you know, race and diversity, that, that they are plays that are open to everyone and can be interpreted, interpreted yeah. in so many ways, which I find really exciting. I, I do too. She's the first playwright I've ever worked with who specifically creates characters who are theys. That mm-hmm. they're, they're only ever referred to as they. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And and so it's open for you as the director in terms of casting. It's open for the mm-hmm. actor in terms of creating character. And then occasionally she will specify someone is male or a female um, or yes. male woman. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but particularly in Red Bike, she, all of the minor characters in that who come up are are referred almost all are referred to as they, and it just it creates a a, um, a world in which gender functions differently. Yes, yes, uh, and, and sometimes doesn't even function in a way like mm-hmm. it, you know what I mean. Um, yes, he takes away a lot of the the things about gender that keep us trapped and. Um, uh, overly defined. You mentioned the word landscape before in relation to your writing. And I think Cara Dodd also creates these landscapes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, through, through the language and these places where you can, there, there is space again for interpretation and for the other artists to find themselves in it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that, that uh, idea about sort of using that non gendered language and what that might create just in terms of the environment of the rehearsal room is really fascinating. Yes. Yes. I do a lot of gender flipping when I'm doing classic plays. And one Mm. of the things that always fascinates me that happens in the rehearsal room is I will get confused about which pronoun, especially if it's a woman playing a male character, I will, or, or I'll go back and forth between she and he in the course of the rehearsal Mm. process. And to the extent that ultimately it's kind of irrelevant. Yes. It becomes yes. Both or, or, or it becomes and or. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really fascinating to, to, to make our brains do that. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I, um, you know, in graduate school and, well, kind of all of my life actually, you know, starting with playing apartment complex and house, uh, when I was a kid, but uh, certainly through graduate school. And then a couple of times since graduate school, I've done quite a bit of uh, opposite gender casting and sort of playing uh, playing female roles. And uh, it, it, it's interesting because that's playing female roles for me because of the way I was raised and the way I was socialized and uh, how I view myself uh, um, in terms of my queerness, playing female roles almost feels more comfortable to mm. me than than playing male roles. You know, I don't get an opportunity to do it a lot. But when I play a female role, it 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 is a sense of I I I don't think of myself as okay. Now I'm playing a female. I think mm. of myself as okay. Now I am a body in these circumstances and. There are many circumstances that are gendered and affect my journey through this play. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I am 
a body. I, you know, I, I, I don't often think about my maleness yeah. inside, you know, a female character. Maybe it's because I don't think about my maleness a lot. <laughs> <And it was laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So it, it is a, it is a gender and gender in the rehearsal space. And, yeah. you know, again, much like the work that, that Arts Equity was asking us to do, uh, you know, this work on gendered spaces is so necessary and, and is so difficult, mm-hmm. but is, uh, but is the conversation that we have to have in the American theater, you know, that and about uh, inclusion and diversity. And yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're describing there another thing that our brains do that's really important in rehearsal when we're doing, um, I call it gender confusion. Like I cast in such a way that the audience doesn't get answers about what the gender of the character is. So they have to let go of it. I deliberately sort of confuse the question. But I think one thing you're describing is a really important shift in artistic process, which is we used to define characters as gendered. And now we can mm-hmm. find circumstances as gendered. And that's a yes. really different way to look at it. It's not mm-hmm. in the psychology of the person. It's part of the patriarchal world that they live in. It's the given yes. circumstances that are gendered. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And then seeing how those circumstances shape and affect how a body moves through that landscape. Yeah, yeah, there it is, landscape again. Yeah, yes, That that that's great. I'm going to actually write that down and use that in my acting classes. Thank you, Holly. Awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what else? Where, where, sh- what should we talk about next? Um, well, has anything happened with what we were? Have you? Oh done- yeah. 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 Yes. Um, so actually what we were is going into, it's having a world premiere co-production. Um, it goes into rehearsals, uh, next month. Um, here in Dallas and then in Fort Worth. And uh, it's it's been co-produced. Uh, one of the producing theaters is the same company that did Enemies of the People last year. Hmm. Um, and then they are co-producing with a theater in Fort Worth because even though we're Dallas-Fort Worth, it's like people in Fort Worth don't often come to Dallas to see a show and people in Dallas don't often go to Fort Worth to see a show. Right, right. So, um, so they're doing it in two places, and there's a so the theater here is called Second Thought Theater. The theater in Fort Worth is called Circle Theater, and um, so I'm very excited. I will be gone. Actually, I'll be out of town for the entire rehearsal process. So I will return uh, the day that it opens. Oh my gosh, is that yeah. is that kind of scary, or do you like that? Well, you know, no, it's 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 not scary. Um, I wish I was going to be more on hand, you know, to be of help if I could, but I certainly trust everyone involved. Um, you know, I've had a lot of meetings with, uh, with the director and she's wonderful and incredibly smart. And I think understands the play deeply. I know all the actors in it. And so I trust them. So, you know, I feel very comfortable. Great. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, we'll just be excited to sort of show up and see how it, how it goes. And, Mm -hmm. um, one of the really cool things is that, um, so, uh, because Ashland New Play Festival has started this new project called Play for Keeps, where they record plays, uh, what we were was, I don't, I think it was the first play that they recorded, or maybe it was, okay. 
Yeah, but it was one of the very first plays that they recorded. And um, so I've been able to sort of, uh, you know, uh, say to the people in the cast, and, you know, if you want to hear this play, you can go to the website. You can, you know, pay a very, very minimal fee and be able to sort of listen to the whole play. And, you know, some actors really like that, some don't. I've also um, shared that with the theaters that are doing it because they have some donors who really love to hear and or read a play prior Mm -hmm. to it being done. So Mm -hmm. share that information with them so that their donors can, you know, check that website out. And uh, so that, 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 new uh project that ashland has initiated has been you know a a real help in in terms of outreach for this play it Um, sounds like it yeah what a great idea how smart yeah no absolutely and so yeah no i'm so i'm really excited about seeing it done Um, yeah and uh, i want make sure that you get that you send me some good production photos because i'm really curious about um you know you do things in that play with space and time that then need to be realized in the space and time of the performance you know how how do you take that landscape and then actually make it physical and concrete in the in the now time of the performance and and so i'm really curious to see how the directors solve that problem yeah yes i i Absolutely, will absolutely, and um, so what's so what's coming up for you in the next few months? Um, school starting again. <laughs> uh, I am. I'm going to go to uh, Chapel Hill for a long weekend. I'm going to be on a panel about intersectional casting um, mm-hmm. at the Women's Theater Festival conference in Raleigh. Okay. Um, and that's really exciting to me because I went to undergrad at UNC Chapel Hill. So I get to kind of revisit my old stomping grounds and see some um, old friends while I'm there. Uh, and then I am going to what I'm calling fight camp. Uh-huh. Lovingly, lovingly fight camp. Uh, it's the uh-huh. um, Society of American Fight Directors, their annual big three week long come and learn how to fake beat people up. <laughs> that's great that's so at that time I will be able to fake beat up anyone um, uh-huh. I am really excited <laughs> really excited about it uh, you know I've worked with fight choreographers before as a director and I've always wanted to have a little bit more specific understanding of the vocabulary um, and even to be able to you know choreograph some stuff on on my own uh, so yeah. that I'm really excited to add that to my repertoire as a director I think it I think it also factors in um, to how to treat sex on stage, um, how careful that you need to be. And I'm really excited to have, be able to pass that skill on to my graduate directors as a, as a really key part of their job creating. Yes. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really exciting. You know, I had years of stage combat in in school and I was all, I've always, I, I am hopeless at it. I'm totally (laughs) hopeless at it. The only thing I was good at was making like, victim sounds. I was a great victim. Um, I fall really well. Yes. I cry really well, but, uh, I was terrible at beating folks up. Um, but I'm, I'm, that sounds like a lot of fun though, actually. Yeah. I'm very excited. That's great. How about you? What's the rest of your summer look like? Um, we closed this, the Churchill shows on Saturday and then Sunday I leave. I've, um, my God, for 15, this will be my 15th year 
Uh, for 15 years, I've uh, worked at a program, and now I run a program at Yale in the summertime. Uh, it's the Summer Conservatory. It's a really cool program. Um, Five-week intensive. The students are in class about 45 hours a week. Wow. Um, for five weeks. Um, it's all, the faculty is all pulled from uh, graduates from the School of Drama and or uh, current students in the School of Drama Service TAs and, and um, so yeah so I'll I'll be at, at Yale for five weeks doing that um, then I'm doing uh, I'm doing this Meisner training in the city I've always been ambivalent about Meisner uh, yeah. Mostly because I think, uh, speaking of patriarchy, I think it is a deeply patriarchal training. Absolutely. Uh, you know, where there's sort of like a, a, like a big daddy who watches you and tells you if you're right or wrong. Yes, that's, um, uh, yeah, totally. Right? <laughs> I, I guess, uh, Blake, I actually just wrote an article about this, so I can't wait to really? hear what you think of the Meisner training. Um, I'll make sure uh -huh. that I send you the link, but I yes, did research into exactly what you're talking about, the ways that Meisner and Strasberg was guilty of this too, and Kazan um, really turned their methodologies into this sort of patriarchal control system. Yes, yes. Well, so I, I the... Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm going into it with a lot of trepidation. I'm I'm taking it because a couple of people who I know, who I really r respect, have said that that teacher, uh, a man named Larry Silverberg, is amazing and sort of addresses a lot of those things. Mm. So um, so Great. I think it's always good to sort of put myself back on the line in 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 terms of training. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to watching him teach because they speak so highly of him. I'm doing mm. that. And then the last thing I'll do before I come back is um, I'm going to, I'm very excited. I'm going to this retreat called Still Right. Um, and uh, it is a retreat uh, I've heard about for years. There's a, these silent retreats that the playwright Eric N. runs. Mm -hmm. And um, they're like eight days, nine days long. Um, they are completely silent. Uh, so like you arrive the first day, you have a meal that evening and you can talk and then you go into silence and there's no internet, there's no phones and it's total silence for the next seven days. Wow. And, and Eric leads workshops like in the morning. Um, so he can talk, but no one else can. And you just write and it's in the hill country in Texas and some like amazing plays have come out of this. Um, and also because I haven't actually written any plays, I haven't done any playwriting since uh, since last August. So when I go to the workshop, it'll be a year since I've put anything on the page in terms of plays. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I I'd, I'd sort of taken a self-imposed break. Um, I was really tired. My mother was having a lot of health challenges, and so I was oh, doing sorry. a lot of caring for her. And so I was like, you know what, you're allowed to take a break. So I just sort of, you know, I was in the middle of two plays. I stopped both of them. Mm -hmm. um, so this will be a great way to sort of re-enter the writing world. And I am terrified of <laughs> not being able to talk for seven days. I think my head might explode. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think it will be. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I'll have to deal with myself and only myself for seven days, which right, is, right. Yes, scary. That is scary. But, um, listen, please send me that, uh, 
the article on, on yeah you know I, what I end up concluding is exactly what you just said which is that when you do Meisner you just need to be conscious of the ways that it can be used in a problematic yes. way so that you're not doing that yes yes you know yeah. I mean you know because the whole pedagogic structure of an acting classroom is set up already to sort of put some of those things in place, you know? So yes, always being mindful of like, you know, yes, I am speaking, but I'm not, you know, but you are not behold, I, this is an opinion. This is perhaps, you know, yes, an, an informed opinion, but, uh, but yeah, always being aware of the sort of inherent power dynamic in a classroom and, and not leading it into that sort of, you know, deeply psychological, inappropriate. Right. Face. <laughs> We're simply not qualified as teachers and directors oh. to do that. And I don't want that responsibility. Do you know? Right, exactly. It's enough responsibility having their education and, yes. <laughs> and careers in our hands. That's plenty. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So I, I don't want the, the added stuff. So, yeah. Um, well, gosh, gosh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and catch up with you. Yeah, you too. You too. It sounds great. It sounds like you've been super busy. You too. And if you, when and if you come to Dallas to visit your parents, please reach out and we'll grab a cup of coffee or something. I will, absolutely. I may even uh, send them to see some of your plays. Oh, please, please do, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to Blake Hackler and Holly Elder. Be sure to subscribe and tune in next week. Play for Keeps podcast is produced by Ashland New Plays Festival and Play for Keeps. This podcast was produced by Andy Herndon, art direction by Carr Quinn Lewis. Play for Keeps is directed by Jim Pagliasotti. Written content is edited by Carol Florian. Special thanks to Kyle Hayden, Jackie Apodaca, and Beth Kander. This is your host, Mary Claire Erdenast. Please visit us online at playforkeeps.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Help us spread the word. Follow, like, share, and retweet. See you next time at Play for Keeps Podcast. Books are meant to be read. Plays are meant to be said.